Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudet. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So today is an exciting day in our show's history. As you've probably noticed, we haven't released a new podcast in a couple weeks, but it's been for a good reason. The Runners Connect podcast will now have a new host moving forward. I'd like to introduce you to one of our newest members of the Runners Connect team, Will Musto. Will is our chief running enthusiast, and he's also one of our expert coaches. We're both really excited about the move, and I'm anxious to have Will share his passion, knowledge, and expertise. To help Will get started on the right foot, and because it's been requested by a few of our loyal listeners, Will is going to interview me for his inaugural podcast. This was a lot of fun for me, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Now here's Will to take it in from here. Thanks, Jeff. Listeners, what's the most positive change you could make to your training plan to immediately and positively impact your next six months of racing? If I told you the answer is to race less, run less, and probably train slower, would you believe me? In today's interview, we're going to begin to understand why it's normally better to run slower than we feel like we should, and why sometimes the best strategy is to spend less time running. On our show this week is Jeff Gaudet, the founder of Runners Connect, who was also a several-time state champion in Maine in high school, received multiple NCAA All-American awards while at Brown University, and finally completed his career as a professional runner for the Hansonsbrook's Distance Project in Detroit, Michigan. Jeff is going to explain to us the dangers of running easy runs too fast and the benefits of tailoring your training to your specific fitness levels. Here are some things we plan to talk about. First, take the next logical step with your training and listen to your body. Second, the absolute importance of specific strength work to avoid injuries. Third, why strong body control is the key to long-term injury-free training. Fourth, how the optimal race schedule might be structured and why your current racing schedule may actually be slowing your fitness progression. And fifth, why a training community or team is extremely valuable to all runners. As always, to check out any of the resources we might mention during the show, go to www.runnersconnect.net slash rc29. Again, that's runnersconnect.net slash rc29. And now the show. Well, I've given a brief introduction uh, about who you are, uh, but let's tell the audience in, in your own words a little bit about your background, Jeff. Sure. Yeah. So um, I started running uh, when I was in high school. It actually wasn't my uh, first choice of sport, but uh, I got lucky and I was actually pretty good at it right away. So um, I, ran in, I ran in high school and I won a couple of st- I'm, I'm from Maine originally. And I won a couple state championships and and tended and ran really well in high school. I had PRs of, I believe, 420 in the mile and 920 in the two mile. Um, so luckily, that afforded me some opportunities for to go to college and, and run competitively in college. And so I chose uh, Brown University, and uh, basically because they had an awesome coach and uh, a really fun team to be on, to be on. So uh, I entered Brown as a freshman and. You know, I didn't really know where my running was going to go or where it was going to take me, but I knew I, I knew I wanted to keep doing it. And um, <clears throat> I had a lot of success at Brown, or I should say, I had a lot of ups and downs as well. Um, I ran pretty well. I set the school record <clears throat> as a sophomore <clears throat> uh, in the 5K, running 14:09. Um, and then my junior year, I was all American in cross country for the first time. Um, and then I was also won the 10K at the Ivy League Championships. 
And uh, I was an All-American again my senior year. So um, during my time at Brown, I definitely uh, had some ups and downs, you know, some uh, a lot of injuries, um, usually of my own accord, trying to train too hard and do too much. Um, but then I also was able to have some good performances. And then uh, after college, I knew I wanted to keep running just to see how far I could, could take things. And so I actually went and ran for the Hansen's Olympic Development Project out in Rochester, Michigan. And that's where I started doing more of the 10K, and I actually did one marathon. And, um, you know, from there, things kind of, uh, I started to run pretty well and uh, qualified for a couple of U.S. championships. And, um, and yeah, so that's kind of the, the brief synopsis of my, uh, my running background. Cool. Um, as a coach, what, what's, your, what's your background as a coach? Uh, so yeah, my background as a coach is, um, I start, it's funny, I was interviewing, uh, Mario Frioli a few weeks ago, um, about his start in coaching. And it's actually very funny because as he was saying it, I was thinking, wow, that pretty much mirrors my own. But, um, but yeah, after I graduated, I mean, in college, I was pretty much a running geek. I mean, that's pretty much all I did was, uh, you know, study running, talk about running, do running. And, um, you know, so people kind of knew that about me. And then after I graduated college, um, I had a couple friends who, you know, wanted to run half marathons or train for a marathon uh, that I'd gone to college with. And so they contacted me and said, hey, can you help me write a training program? And so I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And so that's kind of how I started getting into it, just writing training programs for friends and, and helping some people out. And then um, I started getting involved with some of the um, uh, Marathon for the Cure and Detroit Marathon people uh, in in Michigan. And so that's kind of how I started getting getting started with some of the kind of more adult recreational runners. Um, and then after, uh, so that's kind of how I got started. And it was mostly kind of part-time here and there, just helping people out kind of a thing. Was and then a- after my time at Hanson's around 2007 or 2008, um, I actually took a, a assistant coaching position at a college, uh, Queens University, uh, working with Scott Simmons, who um, is a pretty well-known coach uh, and coaches the American Distance Project. And um, so I was an assistant coach there. I coached the women's cross country and uh, track and field teams there. Um, And then uh, as part of that, I actually started doing some online coaching. And it was basically just because some of the people I had left in in Michigan were needed to be coached. Um, And then I kind of started growing from there in terms of getting uh, athletes. And I really can't say how it kind of grew. I guess maybe it was too long ago. I don't remember. But I just kind of started to continue to coach more and more people, and um, and yeah, so that's kind of how things got started. Do you have a do you have a favorite or most memorable moment as a coach? Wow. So yeah, I definitely have a, a, a few few moments. It's hard to put them put them into maybe one. Um, I mean, I think anytime, I think every you work with athletes that you develop a special relationship with, or athletes that. Um, uh, come from hard backgrounds in the sense that they had to work really hard to achieve their goal, whether it be because they were injured or because they have some type of medical history. Um, and then they're able, and, and they really had to put in work above and beyond um, that of the normal athlete. You know, I mean, I think every runner has to, to definitely put in the work. Um, but sometimes, you know, you have runners who um, had to come back from a debilitating injury or were in a car accident or something like that. Um, and so those are the types of athletes that when they accomplish their goal, when I see them, um, you know, run their first marathon and, and or finish or qualify for Boston, whatever they're hoping to do. Um, that's really uh, kind of a big moment for me. So yeah, that's definitely, I, I say, I'd say it's hard to, to pinpoint one, but I would say those athletes that I feel like had to come from special circumstances yeah. are, are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. exactly. Um, you know, 
you're you're a former elite athlete, former pro. Uh, I I would say it's probably safe to say your your past your days of constantly being on top of your game. What keeps you motivated day to day? What's the biggest thing that pulls you out the door every day to get your training in? Yeah, you know that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, it really just becomes a personal drive. Um, I've always been a competitive person, and my competitiveness when I was younger, high school, college, professional, was more an outward competitiveness with other people, you know, trying to qualify for specific races or beat particular people, you know, those types of things. Um, and now as I'm older and I'm kind of getting back into, you know, just training and, and doing it for myself, it's more of a competition with myself. Um, you know, can I, can I do the, can I get better? Can I be better than I was the other day? Um, you know, those types of things. Um, and then I think also I really just enjoy running. So I, um, you know, for me, it's a time, you know, I'm a lot busier now than where I was training professionally. Um, and so for me, it's that time to be able to step away from the computer. Uh, you know, there's a lot of days where I'm probably behind the computer eight or nine, 10 hours a day. And so it's nice to just step away and A, move and, and B, kind of just think about things and kind of let my, my mind wander. So yeah, I, I really, um, it's kind of an enjoyment, personal fulfillment type of thing. Definitely. Um, how, how old are you? How, did, how long... Did you take time off after, after leaving professional running, like serious time off of training? Yeah, so I actually, I actually stopped running professionally because um, I tore my plantar fascia uh, right before the 2008 Olympic trials. Um, it was a it was a dumb injury. I, I felt it probably in October, November of that year, and I just I, I knew what it was and I I knew better. But with the Olympic trials coming up in the in the spring, um, you know, I kind of just said you know, let's go for it and see what happens. And it definitely continued to get worse and worse to the point where I, I really was barely able to run. Uh, but I kind of kept saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And then eventually it just, uh, it gave out and pretty much tore. Um, and so then I took about eight months off total. Um, I had a couple procedures, um, the, uh, for people that are familiar with plantar fascia injuries, I had the extracorporeal shockwave therapy twice. And then I also had uh, PRP done, which is the platelet-rich plasma therapy, which is uh, kind of got famous with Tiger Woods when they uh, they take out blood, uh, your own blood, and then they spin it in a centrifuge and they separate the white blood cells from the red blood cells, and then they basically re-inject the white blood cells back into the the injured area, which is supposed to promote the healing uh, or promote healing. So um, I had that procedure, and, and all in total, I took about eight months off, and uh, then I started to come back and get into running a little bit, but that's when the coaching really started to pick up. And so at that point it was kind of decision, you know, like, do I want to go back to that professional runner lifestyle and, you know, find a group and that kind of thing, or do I want to, um, you know, pursue kind of the business side of things. And, uh, at that time it, this was definitely the more interesting Avenue. And so, um, that's kind of where my, where my competitive running days stopped. Okay, cool. Um, sweet. So you, you've kind of been, you, you you've kind of been all the way to the top as a runner and then, and then kind of pulled yourself back down and been more of a, more of a comparable to an everyday, just an everyday road race runner. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I think, uh, in some ways that actually helped probably with my coaching, um, not running now in the sense, or I guess running, not being my main focus now, um, because I can really understand where athletes are coming from when, family commitments, work commitments, that type of stuff gets in the way. Um, I would have said when I was in college or even as a professional that if I was coaching people and they said, and if they were to tell me like, oh man, work got in the way today. I couldn't get my run in. What do I do? I would have just been like, what do you mean work got in the way? Like 
you get up at 4 a.m. Right. and you do it, you know, kind of thing. Um, because that was my life and I didn't have a, an appreciation or understanding of like what it was like to not have running be right. your everything, you know? Um, and so now that I have that appreciation, I definitely can emphasize more with runners who are have you know, struggle with the kind of work-life balance or family balance. Um, and a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm just more empathized with adjusting things and understanding that those things are definitely going to come yeah, up. So absolutely. Um, a lot of people and even a lot of post-collegiate professional runners don't get the opportunity to continue in that structured training group setting. Um, you know, like you get in high school, you get in college, you, you had the opportunity even as a professional with the Hansons to continue that, mm -hmm. that team, you know, philosophy and, and concept, uh, but then, you know, now obviously you're training on your own and, and you work with a lot of people who are training on their own. What are, um, huh? or, or, you know, not not necessarily on their own, but not with a structured training group. What are some of the methods uh, that you've found or used yourself that uh, help help you find running partners, you know, in your city or, or in your region? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for a lot of runners, um, I think it's important. I, I think the best way to do it is actually look for local running stores um, because those are going to be usually the center hubs for where people are going to be meeting, whether it be group runs or different races. Um, and and um, if there's a running group in your area, they're probably going to advertise in some way at the local running store. Um, so that's probably the best way to kind of get in touch if you want to find groups to run with. Um, and I think the one thing runners need to do is realize that um, – I think what happens with most runners is they get really scared about their pace and how fast or slow they are. Um, and specifically runners really think that they're probably too slow to join a running group. Um, but when you look at kind of what the averages are of most, are of most people, uh, you know, most people are going to be, uh, you know, in your, in your target range. And even if, and even if you're maybe a little bit slower than the average quote unquote, um, there are definitely people that are running your pace and they definitely enjoy going to group runs. Um, so if there maybe isn't a group that caters to your pace or your type of uh, speed, you know, you can definitely find people in your area that, you know, may be good to run with and, and find motivation that way. So um, I, I definitely think the best thing is to do is to just put uh, your preconceived notions of what, what fast is to you um, and just kind of put yourself out there and give it a try to, to go out and find a group. Cool. Yeah, those are, that's great. Uh, what are, what are some of the, you know, maybe top five or, or just some of the top mistakes that you, you've found self or non-coached runners uh, or even yourself as, you're, as you've coached yourself after, after your professional career ended? What do you, th those mistakes that are made commonly? Yeah, no, that, that's a fantastic question. Um, there's probably more than five, yeah. but um, <laughs> um, I would definitely say the first, and, and maybe some of these are pretty related, but the first is definitely doing easy runs too fast. Um, and I was, I was definitely guilty of that when I was training. And so I understand where runners are coming from. Um, but as a coach and somebody who has a different perspective now, um, it's, it's really probably one of the biggest problems that, that runners have is, is doing their easy runs too fast. And then I, on a related note, wanting to run their workout days too fast or thinking that faster is always better. So when you, uh, if they have a tempo run and they're supposed to run nine minutes a mile and they run eight thirty a mile, they think, Oh, that was a better workout. And in a lot of ways, that's actually not, um, as, as you know, as a coach, you know, that's if your specific goal was to, to have a tempo effort and work on lactate threshold or whatever you're working on, um, then it's not a better workout. Um, and I also find that it's a way that runners, it's probably the most common reason that they get hurt. Um, if you're running too fast on your easy days, you're really not affording yourself the ability to recover. 
Um, and, you know, based on research, there really isn't a pace that's too slow to run in terms of what type of aerobic benefits that you want to get, garner from a long run or, or an easy run. Um, most runners are, you can definitely run slower and still get the same, the exact same aerobic benefits, but put less stress on your body. And, and anytime you can, you can get more aerobic benefit with less stress on the body, that's always the way you want to go. Um, and so runners, I think, uh, too often want to push those limits and, and, and continue to push. And I see a lot of that in the, in the group athletes that we coach, um, you know, always wanting to push. And then when they first start working with us, that's probably the hardest thing that they have uh, with, I guess, changing in their own running style is running easy. You know, they, they see the easy pace on their schedule and they're just like, oh, my God, that's so slow. You know, like, how am I supposed to run that? Um, but in reality, based on their, you know, where their fitness level is at, that's actually probably the easiest pay, pace that they want to run. It's funny because um, another big mistake I think people make is uh, training towards a goal time rather than training towards their fitness. Um, and for new runners, that's a hard concept to understand because I guess they don't. It's tough to look at the difference between the two. Um, you know, like when most runners start, they think, "Okay, well, I want to run a marathon, and my goal is to run three thirty. But that goal, typically, I would say probably seventy-five percent of the time that goal has nothing really no relation to like what their ability level is and where their fitness level is at. Like for a lot of times it's just, maybe it's their Boston qualifying time. Maybe it's a three thirties. Just, they just want to get, that's a number that impresses them, you know, where they say, okay, three twenty. I would be happy with something that says three twenty for a marathon. Um, but a lot of times it's in no relation to where their fitness is at. And so what ends up happening is they, they reach out way, they try to reach way too far in their training segment uh, in their training paces and, and, um, are typically way too fast. Um, so we get this a lot, for example, um, with athletes who they want to run, a, let's say they want to run three thirty in the marathon. Um, and, uh, I'm going to blank off the top of my head what three thirty paces for the marathon, but, um, let's go ahead and assume it's, uh, and everybody's going to, I hate to say this, but, uh, Let's see. It's going to be like 9.30 a mile, roughly. Hold on. You know what? I want to check this because right I know now. if I say it and then uh, if I say it wrong, people are going to jump on me. So give me one second. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it's uh, eight flat. It's uh, yeah. eight minutes a mile. So there we go. I was off <laughs> with 9.30. But, uh, but so, for example, if, uh, if the you know, marathon pace for 3.30 is eight minutes a mile, they, they think, okay, no matter where their fitness level is at, they think automatically, I need to start running, I need to do my workouts at eight minutes a mile or faster. Even if, let's say, their their current fitness level is maybe a 345, 350 marathon, where eight minutes a mile is, is just way too fast for them. Um, and that's a mistake they make because then they, all instead of tailoring their training to where their fitness is at and saying, okay, I'm in 345 shape, I'm going to do my workouts at you know, 815, 820 a mile. Um, but they say instead is, well, I need to break 3.30, so I'm going to run eight minutes a mile. And then that's when they start training too fast, which is, A, it's not optimal physiologically. Um, you're not training the right systems. So if you go to do a tempo run and you're doing it 15 seconds a mile too fast, you're not getting the, the optimal benefits from it. Um, and then second, you're talking about increasing the risk of injury uh, significantly. And that's probably the, the biggest component um, is that you're, you're, running far, you're running far faster than you're capable of. So likely you're going to get injured or overtrained pretty quickly. Um, and then that's, that really starts a cycle in runners where, um, they come to, they come to start working with us. And that's where, that's usually the cycle we find them in where <clears throat> they're trying to achieve some arbitrary time goal. And I say arbitrary in the sense that that time goal doesn't relate to, isn't related to where their fitness is at. 
and they've gotten hurt. They did four or five weeks of that program and it worked okay, but then they either got overtrained or got hurt. Um, and then now what ends up happening is they have a set, they have a set goal. For example, they wanted to run Chicago. Um, well, unfortunately the Chicago date doesn't change, but now they're, you know, now they're, they took a week off to rest their knee or whatever was hurting them. And now they're a week behind in their training. So instead of saying, okay, well, I'm a week behind in my training. I'm probably not as fit as I was when I, when I got injured. Uh, so let me take a step back, start out a little bit easier and train to my fitness level and let my body, um, tell me when it's ready to run faster. They say, well, now I only have 12 weeks left until Chicago. I got to train harder or I got to up my paces right away. And then they do that for three or four weeks and they get injured again. And that, that cycle just continues to start over and over. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is just having this time goal, whether it be arbitrary or not, um, that doesn't relate to kind of where their fitness is at. And so that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. And it's hard to, it's hard to communicate that to them be, without making them feel like, you know, you don't want to tell somebody like, well, you're not ready to run a free 30 marathon yet because, you know, you don't want to discourage them because it's not meant to be discouraging. It's not to say you can't get to a 330 marathon fitness by October. It just means you're not there yet. And until you're there, we have to, we have to train you to your specific fitness level. So those are definitely some of the, the biggest mistakes I think uh, that runners make. Absolutely. Uh, and you, you talked a lot about injuries and uh, a couple, mm -hmm. couple ways to prevent them and, you know, not, not overtraining. Um, what are some other best practices for avoiding injuries that, that you've experienced, especially someone who's had a lot of injuries yourself in your running career? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, I think there are two main factors that you want to look at. And one is what we've talked about already, which is kind of making sure that you're training your, I always call it taking the next logical step with your training and listening to your body. So if you're not pushing the envelope all the time and really trying to um, go above and beyond what your fitness level is at, that's going to significantly reduce your injury rate. So I got injured a lot in college because I, one summer I decided to move to Colorado and um, just train, you know, train for the heck of training. And I, I ran maybe 140 miles a week. And I think my previous high was like 95, maybe 100. And so, that was stupid. you know, and then I got hurt. <laughs> right. And then I got hurt. And then I'm like, oh man, now I'm hurt. And I, you know, I had to take three, four weeks off. And it's like, I would be much better just running at my normal mileage level and having six to eight weeks of consistent mm -hmm. training than I would have doing 140 miles a week or and even, then getting hurt even three taking weeks. a um, half step back and running 85 to 90 miles a week over the summer. Then, then you exactly, run. exactly. So, um, you know, that was a mistake I made, and I see that a lot in a lot of athletes. They they consistently want to be upping their training um, without and and sometimes you know taking these numbers back to what um, to more I guess reasonable levels. You know, it's much better to run eight weeks at 35 than, you know, four weeks at 45 to 50 and then two weeks hurt and then another two weeks. At, I mean, just that type of up and down training just doesn't really work very well. Um, so that's one big thing. Um, and then obviously the second the second part is going to be strengthening the body and, and doing injury prevention work, which is definitely really hard to do because, you know, as runners, we're all really busy. And so, you know, we all want to get the run in and we're also focused on getting in our mileage and hitting our mileage totals and getting in our workouts that injury prevention work often falls to the side. Um, and so I feel that doing injury prevention, injury prevention work is absolutely critical um, to, to getting faster and, and staying consistent. And um, to me, injury prevention work is working on running specific stuff. So core 
Uh, hip strength work is ex extremely important. And then I think the other aspect is just working on specific weaknesses that you may have. Um, I think biomechanically, um, everybody has different weak points based on their overall, their own kind of strengths and weaknesses, uh, kind of how everything fires in their own system. And so, for example, uh, I've never really been injured anything above my knee. Mm -hmm. So uh, because I, just the way that I run, whatever reason, you know, my hips, hamstrings, knee injuries, like I just, I never had one in my entire career of running anything above the knee. But I tore my, I, I tore blown up both my plantar fascia. Um, I have numerous Achilles injuries, calf strains all the time. Um, not so many, not so many shins, like uh, shin injuries, but, um, but yeah, so those are really the problem points for me. And so once you identify what those problem points are for you is doing injury prevention work to prevent those types of things. So in my case, doing a lot of feet strengthening, uh, Achilles strengthening, calf strengthening stuff, um, it was really beneficial to keeping me healthy. Um, and then for whatever, you know, for another runner, it may be that they are always coming down with IT band pain. So doing a lot of hip strength work, uh, doing a lot of, uh, you know, quad strength work, that kind of stuff is really going to, to kind of make a big difference. So I think, uh, incorporating those types of things and being diligent about getting them in and not just saying, okay, well, I want to do, I, I want to do injury prevention work and I'll throw it in whenever I can. Um, and, and actually saying, okay, especially if you're coming back from an injury or you're an injury pr prone person is actually making that the most important part of your training day. So I'm going to do my dynamic warm-up before I run, regardless of whatever. If I have to cut a mile because whatever, then that's fine. I'll do my dynamic warm-up. And then after my run, I'm going to do my core, uh, my hip work, whatever it is for that day. And again, if I have to um, sacrifice a mile off my, my, um, my run to get that in, then that's what I'm going to do. And you definitely have to do that as you're building back from an injury or if you find you're an injury prone person. And then as you, um, you know, progress and then you can start saying, okay, um, you know, these are my specific days to do kind of things, uh, as opposed to really being diligent about it early on. What might one of those dynamic warmups that you're talking about, what, like an example of one of those or a couple of those? Yeah. You know, uh, Jay Johnson actually has a great dynamic warmup. It's called the mm -hmm. lunge matrix. Um, we've written about it on our site. Jay's written about it extensively. Um, you've heard of it. I am sure. Yeah. Um, it's a great, it's basically, uh, a series of lunges that, um, it, are kind of designed to open up the hips, get blood flowing, um, simulate the central nervous system and kind of get your legs firing on all cylinders. Um, there's just been a ton of research lately and it's pretty, I guess now, uh, I hate to use the word proven, but, you know, pretty well established that, you know, regular stretching before a run is not beneficial at all. Uh, and in most cases will actually hurt you. Um, but this type of dynamic warmup uh, kind of gets the blood flowing, stretches out the, the muscles, tendons, fascia, that kind of stuff without uh, going through those static stretching movements um, and kind of gets the body ready to run. So that dynamic warmup, I think, is really important. Um, some other runners, again, if you're if you're really injury prone, that and that lunch make lunch matrix uh, takes about five minutes. Um, we'll uh, I'll send you the uh, the links to the um, to the lunge matrix. That way, you can put it up on this interview, and people can kind of yeah. take a look at it. So um, definitely go ahead and do that. Um, but uh, but yeah, so they can do the lunge matrix. It takes about five minutes, maybe less. Um, and then, you know, if you're really somebody that's injury prone and, and needs to do some other stuff, there's definitely other longer warmups that you can do. Then it might include some, uh, dynamic stretching, um, or some other dynamic flexibility type of movements that can kind of help, 
um, if, if you're an injury-prone type of person and need to do a little bit more than the uh, general uh, lunge matrix. Yeah, cool. Um, so outside of, um, you know, specific, you know, Susie has hip issues. She obviously, you know, you've said needs to do hip strengthening and flexibility exercises before and or after running. Um, what do you uh -huh. think outside of spe injury specific areas is general strength training important for your everyday runner or is that something that someone who's doing a lot more volume and intensity of training needs to worry about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot out there I think about it's really problem strength training. So, yeah, you know, I think that's kind of athlete dependent um, because there are some athletes who are are or some runners, I should say, who are naturally good athletes who maybe they grow up grew up playing a lot of sports and just in general they're very athletic. Um, and in that sense, probably doing some gen doing general strength work probably isn't as beneficial, isn't that beneficial for them, um, just because they're naturally athletic, naturally strong. Um, you know, kind of have a lot going for them in that department. And then there are other runners who either they took up the sport of running because they were terrible at every other sport, and there's no shame in that. Uh, there's a lot of good runners who have came into running because they were not good at other sports. Um, and then there are some runners who um, are not good athletes at all, have started maybe running in, in their 30s or 40s um, and never played any sports as, an, as a kid or, you know, kind of grew up like that. Um, and so those types of athletes are probably pretty low on the athleticism pole. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, it's just that that's what those types of athletes are going to get more benefit from doing general, general strength type work, uh, because that's going to allow them to be a better athlete. And a lot of times just being a better athlete in general can help you, uh, as a runner, because it's going to make you more efficient. It's going to improve your proprioceptive awareness. Um, it's going to um, improve your neuromuscular conditioning, those types of things where, um, just natural athletes, like if you ask uh, a natural athlete to just go run, they'll just look perfect doing it for the most part. Whereas somebody who uh, has never been an athlete up their life, they really need to work on those uh, outside aspects. And then on the other side of things too, um, you know, you just have some athletes that might be weaker. Um, and then general strength is also really good for athletes who maybe need to lose weight um, because it's it's been well, well, well shown that um, adding strength training is definitely a better way to lose weight. Um, because muscle burns more calories and fat, uh, or in those, all those types of different, those types of different reasons. So for athletes who may be trying using running as a way or wanting to lose weight with running, um, adding general strength training to their, um, schedule is definitely going to help with that particular goal. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you used a word in that answer that some people may not be aware necessarily what it means. Proprioceptive awareness. Uh, I guess that's two words, but what uh, <laughs> what what does that mean in, in layman's terms? Yeah, no, that that's a great question, and I'm glad you brought it up because I I, I want people to 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 know what we're talking about with that. Um, yeah, so proprioceptive awareness is really kind of the uh the I guess it's probably the best way to say the connection between your brain and your muscles, and kind of having an awareness of where you're at spatially with your body. So, for example, um, proprioceptive awareness might be something where you can balance on one foot really well uh, with your eyes closed because you have a good awareness of, of, okay, these are the specific muscles that I need to contract to stay in this balanced position. Um, and, you know, for example, really contracting your foot and, and calf and, and muscles to, to keep you still. Uh, whereas somebody with weak proprioceptive awareness, um, you try to get them to balance and it's, they, they have a hard time saying, okay, 
I need to, I need to engage these, you know, these five muscle groups at this particular time, um, that type of thing. So it really goes to kind of the connection between your brain and what you're trying to do and your muscles and, that are actually performing the work. And the, the better your proprioceptive awareness, the better that connection is going to be. And so the, the more aware of your body you're going to be and the more, the more able you're going to be to fire the right type of muscles in the right types of situations. So it's, it's pretty comparable to what a lot of, a lot of people or high school coaches, not even necessarily in running, just in general, would refer to as like body control. Um, yeah. You know, so-and-so so is yep, really good at basketball control. because they have such good body control and, and et cetera. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what I should, should have said no, right after cool. that. So that was, um, uh, <laughs> that and, was and you think that's something that can be trained? Yeah, I, I, at least in the sense of can be improved. Um, and again, going back to the example, you have some people that grew up as athletes their whole entire lives. And, and some people are just better general athletes than others. I think we all kind of are aware of that. Um, but then you have athletes, people that are have never done that type of training or never done anything athletic. Um, and so that's, it's a skill that needs to be learned and something that continued, that can be improved. Um, and, and obviously there are going to be some people that are better than others, regardless of how much they work at it, but it's definitely something that can be improved in every runner. Yeah, I, I agree. So, so uh, what? Yeah. And I think one thing that's, that's interesting about, uh, as it relates to strength work and kind of body awareness is, you know, one of the things people have questions about when they do strength work, because there, there are definitely people that do injury prevention work and still get hurt. Um, and it's kind of a, it almost makes getting injured worse because you're like, man, I'm spending all this time doing all this injury prevention work and I'm still getting hurt. Um, and sometimes, uh, when we talk about injuries, it's really not, it's not always so much, um, this particular strength of your muscle, uh, but it's your ability to fire that muscle and to use that muscle in the right way, um, when you're running. And so, for example, you can have really strong hips and really strong glutes in the sense of you're able to do glute bridges or able to do fire hydrants all day long. You know, you can, you're really, really strong. But for whatever reason, when you're when you're running and you have when you're out on the roads, you're not able to fire your glute in the right way, and that's what's leading to injury. So it's not so much the strength; it's just that for whatever reason, you're not able to fire that muscle correctly, whether it be a flaw in your running form whether it be some type of body awareness control, whether it be, it can be an existing injury, some scar tissue, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so I kind of wanted to, to address kind of how that all relates back to um, kind of some of the strength work and then some of the, address some of the frustrations I know people have with, with injury prevention work. And it's not that injury prevention work isn't helping because it really is. It's probably actually keeping you from getting hurt more often. It's just that sometimes the reason that uh, you can do all that work and, and still want to find yourself on the sidelines. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that, was, that was a good thing to throw in there. Now, shifting away a little bit from, from injuries, although it's a great topic, you know, we don't like to think about it all that much. So shifting away from that a little bit, uh, how would you advise most people structure their racing schedule? Or how do you advise most people structure their racing schedule? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I think this actually goes back to, I should have added another when you asked for the top five mistakes that people make. Um, this should be another one is probably racing too frequently, um, is, is a mistake. I think a lot of people make in, especially in the sense of racing marathons too frequently, um, where, and I understand, I mean, the marathon's a big event. It's, it's definitely a very exciting, uh, event, but when you're talking about training optimally and, and kind of, uh, talking about progression from fitness level to fitness level, um, you know, ideally you want to space out marathons, maybe about two a year, um, and, and I think, I think three of the year is about the most that you want to do, but I wouldn't do that in consecutive years. So if you really like to race marathons, I would do one year of two 
one year of three, one year of two, one year of three. Um, and, and even that, you know, after a marathon, you know, making sure that you don't have another race scheduled for at least, I would probably say six to eight weeks. Um, because personally, I think it takes two to three weeks to recover from the marathon fully. Um, and I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they say they finish a marathon they take a few days off or a few days really easy. And then they just get right back into getting, getting in mileage. And then the next week they're starting to do workouts again. And I think, uh, the marathon, the, the, the damage the marathon does to the body in terms of musculoskeletal kind of, uh, damage, uh, even just overtraining type, you know, um, uh, damage to, you know, kind of the overtraining symptoms. I think that lasts longer than, than a week or two, even if you're, you know, you're you're technically recovered and you feel fine after a week, you know, there's still some stuff going on in your body that, that needs to, to, to recover. And I think that's where athletes get, get themselves in trouble when they get, uh, when they do a lot of consecutive hard racing type marathons, and then they start to feel sluggish all the time, can't hit their times, those types of things. Um, that's when I think there's something maybe hormonal, hormonal going on where they're just overtrained consistently and never letting their body fully recover. So I tell, I like to tell athletes, you know, the best time to schedule another race is, or I shouldn't say the best time, but you should at least wait six to eight weeks. That way you can take two or three weeks recovery, do two, three weeks of just kind of easy building your mileage back. And then you can have a couple weeks of harder workouts before your next race. Um, and then obviously, ideally you want to have your next big goal race be something in the, you know, 12 weeks, 16 week time away. That way you can at least have some time to train. Um, closer right because i see athletes all the time who they they want to do they want to do uh, like races kind of like maybe six weeks apart um and i always think to myself well where are you going to get better in that time frame you know um or i guess anytime when you think about structuring your race schedule you want to think about in that period of time between the two races where is my time to get better where's my time to improve you got a week of recovery before, after the race that you did, race number one. You have a week of taper before race number two. So then you're, you're talking about maybe two weeks of like solid workouts. Like, yeah, you're going to get marginally better with that. But is there, is there going to be a big performance improvement between the two? Um, and if you're okay with that, if you're okay with saying, okay, well, I want to be in my best shape for race number one. I just want to try to carry it through to race number two, then that's okay. But if you want to say, I, I want to improve significantly, then you obviously need to give yourself some time to train. Um, so, so yeah, that, I guess that's probably my general recommendation is probably race less. Um, and you, you know, like focus more on, you know, what are your big goal races and then kind of building, uh, your other races around that and just giving yourself a little bit more time. Um, and then in the other type of thing, you know, I, I would say, uh, if you are going to race often and that's okay for some people, like if that's really what motivates you to get out the door is to have a lot of five K's and 10 K's here and there, um, be realistic about, what you're going to be capable of given your training and giving your ultimate goal. So what happens for a lot of runners, like they're in a marathon training segment and then they want to run a 5k. That's totally fine. You can even, you can make that work. You can do 5k as part of a long run. You can just do it as a hard workout. Um, but what happens is they get discouraged because they're, they're tired going into the race. Um, and then they always, they, you know, everybody wants to run their best when they strap on, when they put on the bib. Um, but you have to be realistic about where you're at in a training segment. Um, you know, if you're training for a half marathon, those types of workouts are very different from the specific demands of a 5k. So you're just, even if you're in the best shape of your life, you may not be able to run a good 5k off marathon or half marathon training, just because if you're doing it right, you probably shouldn't be doing the type right. of speed work that needs to be done to run a good 5k. So I think the thing about scheduling any types of races 
uh, outside the goal races is just saying, keeping your expectations for what your performance is going to be realistic and, and making sure that it's in line with kind of what you want to do long-term. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of long-term, what are you, for you as a coach, um, what are some of your short and long-term goals and how will those help you better advise the athletes that you coach? Yeah, no, it's a great, great, uh, great question. Um, I think probably short term, um, I want to continue to, to work with athletes. Um, and I want to broaden my spectrum of athletes that we work with. Um, because I think, uh, every athlete that I work with, I learn something from. Um, and so the more athlete, the more different types of athletes I can work with, I think the more variety I can bring to kind of my training schedules and my philosophy. Um, so I think that's probably the short term. Um, and over the long term, um, I definitely want to, uh, kind of build a, uh, a company that's able to bring runners together um, and help them help, I guess, bridge the disconnect between uh, what we do with online coaching, which is kind of me working one-on-one -on -one with somebody and bridge the gap and, and provide more of the experience that I had with, on like the college team uh, and professional team and those types of things where you're learning from each other. You're using the experiences of other people uh, to get better. Uh, for example, when I joined the Hanson's group, one of the things that makes joining that type of uh, training group so special is that it totally changes your mind about what is possible. You know, when you're training by yourself and, uh, you know, you think to yourself like, oh my God, how am I ever supposed to run? You know, how am I going to run five minutes a mile, five, 10 minutes, five, 10 a mile for a full marathon? Like you, if you've never seen it done before, you think it's yeah. impossible. Um, but then all of a sudden you start going, you train with 16 other guys and five or 10 of them have actually done it before, then it really changes your mindset about if that's all of a sudden it, it starts becoming impossible and it starts becoming like, not only is this possible, but I think I can do it. Um, and that's a big mindset change. And so I think one of the things that I want to do is be able, be able to provide a community for the athletes where they can come and they can say, I'm a new runner. I've you know never run before or just getting started. I'm trying to Boston qualify and put them in a group with other runners who are in that same boat or were in that same boat. And so they can say to themselves like, Oh, this person was just like me. She was 50 pounds overweight. She was, you know, running 12 minutes a mile and, and feeling pretty bad about it uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, now she's running nine minutes a mile. She lost 50 pounds. You know, she's running amazing and putting those athletes uh, using their experiences to help motivate each other and, and kind of keep each other yeah. going. Now you mentioned your company, um, you're actually the founder of Runners Connect, uh, runnersconnect.net. Talk about Runners Connect, how kind of, you know, it, it started, like you said, you were coaching some of your friends and stuff, and then you got into online coaching a little more. Talk about mm -hmm. where it's, or to, to where it's progressed from then, and then uh, expound upon a little bit of your, of your future goals that you just kind of briefly mentioned also. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so yeah, like I said, you know, I started with myself and then, you know, as we continued to grow, I knew that I, uh, one of the things that I like to do with personal coaching is, you know, I really want to be personal one-on-one -on -one with, with athletes that we work with. Um, and so after about 20, 25 athletes or so, I started to realize, you know, my time was, was it was difficult to give everybody the time that they needed. And so, um, I wanted to bring on some other coaches to help, uh, you know, take on those athletes that, uh, you know, we're looking for coaching that I couldn't work with at the time. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, I think these, these, these coaches were well vetted, you know, had experience working with athletes, recreational learners, you know, adult athletes. Um, but they were also very skilled in kind of the advanced training techniques that 
um, I think separate the people that some of the coaches that were, uh, that are on our staff in terms of, you know, uh, some of our coaches have coached uh, national champions. Some of them have coached, uh, you know, have been elite runners or all of them have been elite runners themselves. And so I wanted to be able to, to provide that type of experience to every athlete that we coached. And so, um, started bringing on coaches to work with athletes and we grew from there. Um, and then I also wanted to be able to, in the end, provide a, uh, I guess a lower cost way of, of providing training. Um, because I think, you know, I definitely want as many people as possible. I mean, I love when people run well, so the more people that we can help, the better. And while I can't coach everybody personally, uh, we actually, uh, wrote a, uh, an algorithm that can actually, it basically takes our training, your training data and writes you a completely custom, uh, training schedule that's based off about 20 different data points. Um, and it's kind of based off our coaching philosophy that writes you a custom program. Um, and then we are able to provide what I think is very important, which is kind of the coaching ongoing support for those types of athletes. So you, you get your custom training schedule and not only does it have your specific paces. So, you know, instead of following a generic, like I said, I think one of the, one of the issues with runners that they say, okay, well, I want to run 330 for a marathon. So they just pick up a training plan and say, they say, okay, well, um, you know, this, this, this plan was written for a 330 marathoner. So I'm going to follow this plan. But if they're a 350 marathoner, then that, that plan is not ideal for them. So we want to write training places that are, that are perfected for them. And then as they get fitter, as they improve, then their training places will improve. Um, and that's kind of how our system works now is, you know, you kind of start at your particular fitness level. And then once your fitness level improves, your training paces improve and improve, and then you continue to progress from there. Um, but I also wanted to, so we wanted to provide that type of ongoing, um, you know, customization where it's not just a generic plan that's static and just kind of follow it as best you can. Uh, we also wanted them to provide coaching support. So, you know, why are you doing these particular workouts? What, what do you do if you need to move a workout around? Because like I mentioned earlier, you know, things are going to come up. There, there are very few people that have, you know, are able to do every single run in their training cycle, whether it be family, work, uh, health, sickness, something like that, injury, something comes up where the training has to be adjusted. And so we also wanted to be able to provide that type of support to as many athletes as possible. Um, and so that's kind of where our um, idea for the Runners Connect membership came up, where we write the custom plans and stuff like that. So that's kind of where things are now evolving to. Um, and, uh, and definitely in terms of growth, like we just want to continue to, to help as many athletes as possible. Um, it's, it's funny. It's, it still really, really pumps me up when I see somebody post on the, on the site that they uh, ran a PR or um, accomplished something that they really didn't think they could do. Um, we had a couple members recently. Um, I know James Elwood was one of them uh, who really had an amazing marathon training segment and came so far in his training. And, and it was just, and he, he ran a race last weekend and it was just so awesome to, to watch him um, to do well at his race. Um, and we had, we've had a couple other um, uh, runners in the last couple of weeks just run really well. Corey Ramirez uh, ran a marathon and she was like, she, uh, she definitely blew me away with how fast uh, she was able to run and how much she was able to improve. Um, and we have other athletes, you know, Bobby Smith, guys who are just making amazing, amazing improvements and strides every week. And I guess that's all to say, like, I, I read that stuff and it, and it gets me so yeah. pumped up and it gets me so excited. Um, and so I, I, it really is a long term. I just want to keep seeing yeah. that <laughs> is that uh, seeing more and more people um, really change what they think, po- what they thought was possible with their running. You know, when they come in and they have these, oh, I, I can never be a, a 330 marathoner. And over time, you know, we just kind of keep chipping away at it. 
And then the next thing you know, they're posting in the stream like, oh, yeah, I just ran 320. You know, it's it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so. ab- absolutely. That's the best part about coaching. Exactly. Um, yeah. What what separates Runners Connect from the myriad of other, you know, obviously it, it it's different from like a you pick up a Runners World training plan because it's it's customized. But the other the other online coaching companies, what what separates Runners Connect from? Yeah, I think probably I would say the experience and the group atmosphere that we have. Um, at least as far as I know, I don't think there's another uh, training program that offers kind of the group training experience uh, in addition to the customization, personalization type of stuff where you can use the other uh, other runners to motivate yourself uh, to find people that are kind of in that, that same situation as you, whether it be or that were in the same situation as you and use their experiences and their insight um, to help you improve. Um, because that's one of the things, like I said, I learned from every runner, but um, you know, I'm, I have my own perspective and my own lens through which I see training and through which I see improvement. And I think there's also a lot of value from, uh, not only having that expert to say, okay, here is the absolute physiological best way to go about achieving your goal. Um, that's definitely one avenue, but another part of things is that there's a big mental component. And I think having that mental component of saying, uh, for somebody who was, who used to be exactly where you were and, and is now where you want to be. Um, and to be able to learn from that experience is something that I think is uh, is unique to what we were able to provide and, and something that I'm really excited about, um, especially, again, I see people in the community uh, interacting with each other, uh, following each other on race day, uh, you know, with the race trackers that are available on marathons and that kind of stuff, and really starting to become a community of, of runners who, um, you know, care about each other's training and want to see each other see each other succeed and providing that team atmosphere that, um, that I valued so much in college and professional and high school and being able to translate that into an online environment. So I think that's probably something that's pretty unique to us, at least as far yeah, as I know. I mean, that's, and that's awesome. That's, I think that's what you would, you would find most people who have run on a team at any level and then at any level have left that team atmosphere and train on their own. I think they'd say that's the hardest part is, is the lack of social interaction and the lack of camaraderie. So... That's... Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the other big thing, too, is um, <clears throat> one of the huge benefits, I think, is that they're able to learn mm-hmm. from each other um, in the sense of I think one of the hardest parts about being an, uh, a coach online is that I really can't anticipate all the time what a what an athlete knows or doesn't know and to be what kind of questions they might have. Or I should say the athlete doesn't know what quite type of questions that they should be asking or could be asking. Um, and that's always been something that's hard. And one of the cool things about the site is that uh, since so many questions are asked on the site and we give the answers, uh, people are able to learn things that they had never learned before or never even thought of to ask. Um, and I think that's something that's really, really unique and um, has obviously helped at our coaching because it definitely provides, you know, for example, um, you know, we may have a runner, this is an extreme example, I'm not sure if this has happened, but, you know, we may have a runner, a brand new runner who comes in and has never, never ever run before in their life. Um, they come in and they see somebody ask a, a question about, running shoes um and they think to themselves like i don't even know they were they were real running they were like places that made running shoes and i know i should say that's an extreme example but no, i've had that happen i worked at a running store for a while of, it happened all the time <laughs> yeah well I, well it's funny because i i've been coaching and, and what made me think of this is i remember coaching somebody and um they were you know things have been going well for a month or two and then they started really kind of getting a lot of nagging injuries and i'm, and I'm trying to think you know what let's get to the bottom of this blah blah, blah. And, you know i said oh well 
what type of shoes are you wearing? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm wearing a pair of uh, Converse sneakers. I've had them for like two (laughs) years. And I'm like, ah, and I'm like, that now I know. Um, And I said, okay, well, you know, here's where you live. You need to go check out this running store and, and get a pair of shoes. And so, you know, even as a coach, I've been coaching this person for one or two months, and I just never thought to ask them at the start, like, A, are you wearing running shoes? Um, because I just took it for granted and, and B, you know, like, are your shoes new? You know, cause we get that another thing, you know, people are, they'll like, oh yeah, my shoes have like 1200 miles on them. And you're like, whoa, that's, that's so many. Um, and yeah. so, you know, that's, those are the type of questions that get triggered, uh, by what, by reading other people's experiences where they post on the site, like, oh, I just changed out my shoes at 500 miles. And then they'll, they'll think to themselves, is that the optimal time? And they'll ask the question and get the answer. So, um, so yeah, those types of things, we can really head off a lot of things, uh, a lot of experiences um, and questions in, in that type of format. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, kind of in conclusion, uh, I guess, and, and I've, I've appreciated your time a lot. It's been, it's been fantastic. Uh, I think, think there's a lot, of, a lot of great information. Uh, but maybe maybe the best piece of information is about to come. What what would you say your single, in your opinion, single best piece of advice for the you know the average guy um, who's trying to become a better runner? What what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, I would say that piece of advice would be to, I guess it's three things wrapped into one: slow down, um, focus on being consistent, and uh, and uh, yeah, so slow down and focus on being consistent, and and let the training always be taking the next logical step and kind of take training as it comes. Um, and so I, I think those three are related in the sense of, um, you know, slow down in that not every workout has to be a home run. Like you don't have to crush every single workout that you do. Um, it's okay to go out and, and run easy and just keep it easy and slow. Uh, like we've talked about physiologically, that's just as advantageous to you as, you know, running faster. Um, and then relating to consistency, um, we definitely want to, uh, we definitely want to make sure that we, uh, consistency that it's def- definitely better to train for six to seven to eight weeks, uh, at a time, as opposed to doing one week at 30 miles, one week at 40 miles, one week at 20 miles as you get injured, those types of things. So focus on consistency and that relates to running easy because, you know, you want to make sure that you're recovering between your runs and that you're doing everything that you can to, to make sure that you, you stay healthy. And then third, um, take training as it comes, um, and realize that you're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad workouts. Um, and I think some of the things, the biggest distractions for runners are when they go through a period of bad workouts and they, they all of a sudden they want to throw out everything and, and, uh, they need to, they feel like they need to make up their, their workouts if they had a bad one and those types of things where if you just kind of roll with the punches and realize you're going to have a bad day here and there, you may need to may need to, precaution, may need to take a precautionary day off here and there. Uh, to, to make sure that you don't get injured, those types of things. If you let all that combine, you're going to train consistently. And I think overall, that's going to be the, the key to your success. Yeah, that's, that's great right there. Maybe uh, someone's probably going to be like, well, shoot, I listened to that whole thing. I could have just listened to last, like an <laughs> NBA basketball game. <laughs> the last five minutes, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, thank you so much. Um, this has been a, a, a fantastic interview, and, and I really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks, Will. I appreciate it. It's been Sorry. a pleasure.